Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. <laughs> well, hello there. So wonderful to see you return to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. I am your shopkeeper, and we have a very curious item indeed. If you'll step over here to this section of the shop, this may creep you out. Uh, some people have an aversion to these items, while others find them curiously interesting, especially the often haunted often murderous application of these items. Of course, this is our section of puppets and marionettes. You'll find pieces that date back in antiquity to modern pieces used today. But it is something about the puppet and the puppeteer that has always made strange bedfellows in horror. In many applications, in many iterations, Puppets and puppet masters have been the subject of some of the more gruesome and macabre tales. And therein lies the attached string to today's episode of Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. So let's pull out the kinetoscope and take a look at the Shudder original, The Puppet Man. So, The Puppet Man is a movie, came out on Shudder on October the 13th, and... As we know from last week, it was a a very busy day, October 13th, with so many shows and movies that came out on that day. It, you know, Friday the 13th in October, everyone wanted to drop something. And well, I try to get to as many of the, like I said, the shows that I started and the movies that I watched, and we talked about some episodes. Uh, I couldn't get to everything. And The Puppet Man was one of those movies I just didn't have a chance to get to. But I finally had a chance to watch this movie over the weekend. And I'll say right up front, I was... I was really pleasantly surprised by this movie. Now, if you're going into this expecting something like the Puppet Master franchise, you're you're watching the wrong movie. This is not that. So don't go into this thinking you're going to get that sort of Puppet Master uh, type story where you have somebody controlling either physical puppets or someone controlling people like puppets, even though that is kind of how this movie goes, but not in the application that I think a lot of people expected with this. And unfortunately, if you watch the trailer for this movie, it really spells out the entire movie for you. I mean, there are a couple twists and turns that you don't get in the trailer, but for the most part, you understand exactly what the movie is going to be about uh, by watching the trailer. And, and that was kind of a disappointment because I thought... There was a lot of avenues for mystery that they, they did dive into some of that with this movie, but I think you could have delved a lot more into the mystery of who is puppeting who in this movie if you would have just saved some of that from the trailer. Uh, the trailer went into too much detail of what is going on. Really, it's just uh, th there's no surprise in who is puppeting who, and I'll get into that once we get into some more uh, spoiler territory. But as right now, I'm trying to keep things as spoiler-free as possible. But if you like this type of movie, and this is, 
uh, a particular genre of movie that is often gone into. And I hate to talk in vagaries. That's why we're going to talk about this more in the spoilery section. But this is a particular genre of movie that I think this was an interesting way to go about it as far as that subgenre of, of horror film. I thought it was an interesting take on it, being that we've got a lot of movies kind of in this same vein recently that have all been relatively status quo and all have been relatively derivative of one another's. That's not to say that this is a wholly original idea and that we've never seen anything like this before, but when it comes to these types of movies, I think this is a different take on it than you're used to getting, especially with you know a, a movie in particular that came out this month that we talked about on the show. And again, I'll, I'll name names and point fingers once we get into the spoiler territory. But all in all, I think this is a good movie. It's an interesting movie. It's a really interesting story. Now, there are some aspects of the story that I think they either spent too much time on and didn't give you enough of other aspects of the story later on. Uh, they spent too much time setting things up and when it came to the explanation and the mystery, uh, they didn't really leave themselves enough time to really flesh all of that out. I think there was a lot of wasted scene in that, that first act and even getting into the second act. I think there were a lot of wasted scenes that they could have used that time to, to do some more in the fleshing out of the story, in the fleshing out of the mystery and the investigation that goes on. And that was probably... Uh, a slight problem with pacing. I think uh, I've heard other people talking about it and had more of a problem with the pacing than I did. But I will admit there were some some minor pacing issues with this. Just because I think there was too much time spent on one aspect of the story and the rest of it felt kind of rushed through and not succinctly explained. Not that you have to have everything explained, but if you are going to explain things... Uh, you need to do it in a concise and succinct way that people understand what's going on and the gravity of the whole situation. But other than that, I thought this had a, a lot of good atmosphere. The kill scenes were really creepy and unnerving. And you know, some of the effects were really good. This is a good mix of... Uh, I think it had more CG than it looked. I think it did have some practical effects, but I think it had some CG. And they, I think they did the CG right to where... You weren't 100% sure. You know, if you freeze the TV, if you hit pause on particular scenes, you can see, oh yeah, I guess that is CG. But it goes by quick enough and the action happens fast enough and things are just enough out of focus that at first glance, in a first watch through without pausing or anything like that, you're like, oh, is that that's practical. I thought the you know the the kills were really cool, uh, especially that one scene where you had a couple kills going on simultaneously at different locations. I thought the editing was really good on that, and, and it was gory. It had a, a good amount of gore, and like I said, this was a really interesting story. I think there was a really good idea here. I just don't know if it was one hundred percent nailed, and I'm not sure what I was hoping for for an ending, but I'm not sure if I'm 100% satisfied with the ending. But all that being said, definitely worth a watch. So if you haven't watched Puppet Man on Shudder, go check it out. The Puppet Man is is definitely worth a watch. Uh, if you're a horror fan, you like creepy movies with a, a lot of gore and some really cool kills, uh, this had some of those. Uh, so I encourage you to go watch it. But if you haven't watched it, 
check it out. Come back and see what my thoughts are on The Puppet Man, because uh, we're going to get into some spoiler territory. And if you have watched it or you don't care one way or the other, we're going to press on and you'll hear my my more in-depth thoughts on some of the things we got to see in The Puppet Man. But from here on out, spoiler territory. So I, one thing I really thought was cool is the way this movie began, because you go back in time you see this man, he's killing his wife. You see the fear in his eyes as he's killing her, like he is not in control. And and that, to me, was a really creepy aspect of this movie. There's all those scenes where people weren't in control of their bodies, because that, I think, is a huge horror style that I, I don't think is used enough. We got to see it in the No One Will Save You movie on Hulu. I thought, you know, the aliens using telekinesis and, you know, you don't have any control of their body once they're flinging you around and they take control of you telepathically. I think that is a not often tapped, or at least not often enough tapped bit of horror that it, it frightens me. The fact that you don't have control of your own body. And I think, you know, in today's society uh with with how things you know uh people you know it's all about my my body uh i think that is a a great bit of horror that you can derive some uh metaphors for for today's society that like i said i, I don't think it's used enough in in horror and this certainly isn't trying to send any message it is just the horror of not being in control of yourself and i thought they did a really good job with that uh, zachary levey plays david the the father at the beginning of the movie who who does this and he pleads that uh, you know he wasn't in control of himself he didn't murder this his wife uh, somebody made him do it and he is dubbed with the moniker uh, the puppet man because he was claiming he was controlled like a puppet to kill his wife i suppose <laughs> more artistically flared the devil made me do it but i thought that was a really good way to to open up this movie you kind of see what the stakes are you see the gravity of the situation and the implication that their daughter michael uh, Michaela is the one who is making him do this. And that's the thing that really sucked about this movie. It's not the movie. It didn't have anything to do with the movie. It was the fact that they set all this up and, and revealed all of this stuff in the trailer. You found out that somebody can control people like a puppet. It's pretty heavily implied that it is Michael, uh, our, our lead character, and that she is killing people, taking control of their bodies like a puppet. You see that first scene with Charlie played out in the trailer, which I have to say, as much as I saw that in the trailer, I'm like, ah, now that I've seen it, it's not going to really be that creepy. But I have to say, watching it when I watched the movie, even though I'd seen it a, a couple times, because I watched the trailer like two or three times uh, over the past week or so since the movie came out, and it was still creepy to me. I don't know what it is about her stiffening up and losing control of her body and the fear in her eyes, much like uh, Zachary LeVay did in, in the beginning of the movie, uh, that fear of not being in control of yourself, and then her walking backwards uh, off the edge of this building was just, it was chilling. And I, like I said, I thought watching it in the trailer, it would have lost something 
seeing it actually happen in the movie, but it really didn't. I, I thought they did really play up the the tension and the atmosphere and and the stakes. I think when you set the stakes early, like they did with that scene with the father David killing the wife, it just reinforces what's going on with this scene that I had already seen. And I think that was one of the strengths of this movie was all of the kills. Because you had some really good kills. I think the the Charlie, played by Angela Pratter, uh, she, you know, I, I liked her as this character. And I'll get into the characters and, and their relationships a little later. Uh, so I, I'm not going to dive into that right now. But I, but I thought that was a really good kill. A really cool scene. I think her acting as if she is not in control of her body i think really set the table with that scene and, and made that such a chilling scene even though the death and the kill wasn't wasn't overly complicated and i i don't want to say it wasn't original but we've seen people fall off buildings uh i don't know as if i've ever seen somebody you know start walking backwards make a right hand turn and walk off the edge of the building backwards uh, but, you know, we, we've seen things like that before, and, and maybe even in some of the other kills. We've seen it before, but I just think the application in this movie was quite good. The Glenn and Joe characters, both of those characters dying at the same time, although in different locations, I think was, you know, part of me wishes that they would have separated those two and spaced them out. That way you could have got more of the horror throughout the movie. I actually liked how the director, Brandon Christensen, did this. I thought the editing was really good. Going back and forth from Joe studying all by herself in a library, this this book about this cult of Dolos, and then Glenn working out, pumping iron, and how it goes back and forth. I think that's probably why some of these scenes work so well, is because Brandon Christensen used a lot of patience with these kills. He lingered on shots and he lingered on situations, whether it be Joe reading about this cult or Glenn working out when their bodies are taking control of, their will is being overridden. I think lingering on those shots like he did, I think was a smart way to, like I said, really set up the the tension and the atmosphere of the, the scene but also a great way to amp up the gravity of the stakes of what is happening. And there were just a lot of really nice touches. I, I think the Glenn death, you know, he's holding this barbell where he's he's put on way too much weight and the, the tension of him holding this, you could see it in his muscles. I loved that little effect where he has a tooth. He's, he's straining so much that a, a tooth pops out of his mouth. I don't know if that's physically possible, but to see it, it, it makes sense. And it just added, like I said, the gravity, and, and I don't know if there's a pun intended that given the fact that he's lifting weights, but but the gravity of the situation is is amped up by that little touch. And then all of a sudden the weight crashing down on his face. And I think this was one of the situations where it was probably CG, but you get a shot where you've got, I think, the weights in the foreground and you see Glenn's face in the background with the the bar smashed through his his face and it's probably completely cg i don't know they may have used some practical there but but it looks like it could have been completely cg but you don't really tell you you can't 
discern quickly enough because the shot is quick enough. I mean, it's not a jump cut, but it is definitely a, a quick shot, but it's out of focus enough where you can't focus on all the, the seams in, in the CG. You can't see the zipper on the back of the suit, to paraphrase Stephen King. And the same with the Joe character, uh, you know, her losing control. She smokes. She smokes cigarettes, which is kind of odd today because these are college kids, so Gen Z, and they're all about vaping. And they even make a comment about it, why she doesn't vape like everyone else. But she still smokes actual cigarettes. And you knew right away, this is going to play into her death somehow. I just had a feeling. And then it did. She's smoking in the library. She's by herself, so she's not going to get in trouble. But the cigarette falls on this book, and she's paralyzed over top as the, the page catches on fire. And she starts leaning over this, and her hair catches. And all of a sudden, you get that shot from almost from the flames up to her face. And you start to see her face melting. And again, a lot of CG work, maybe mixed with some practical it was all done well enough that I wasn't focused on it being obvious CG. Now, I know some people will probably disagree with me on that, but I, I'm a huge critic of CG, so if it doesn't bother me, it's, it shouldn't bother most people. I, I wouldn't think. Because when CG is bad, I'll be the first one belly aching. But that scene with these two kills, you know, bouncing back and forth from one to another, they could have separated these two and done two different scenes at two different times of the movie and probably drawn out the horror in that regard. But to me, I, I like the fact that they, they cut in between these two kills. And it also conveyed the power of this entity that we're talking about and allows you to see that it doesn't have to be near you to kill you. Uh, and it's, it can multitask. It can kill him over here and her over here, and not a care nor concern is raised. Which added with the patience of these scenes made these two kills very chilling. I think one of the other more gruesome kills, though, I think the one that probably bothered me the most in a way, because... A lot of these characters, uh, like the Glenn character is not very likable. The Joe character, I, I liked her. The Charlie character, you understand why she does what she does. And again, we'll, we'll get into some of the, the more character-driven things a, a little bit later. But she betrayed the Michael character early on. So when she dies, you, you're not... You don't have as much sympathy for her. But the Danny character, played by Kyle Sear, I'm probably butchering this young man's name, and I apologize, but he does a really good job with this character. He is the love interest of Michael, and uh, they're driving, and she has him stop the car. And as soon as she did, I thought, oh, shit. Because you really like this guy. He is the, the understanding love interest, and he is trying to help her and just be there for her and do what he can for her. And all of a sudden, this entity takes over, and you see Danny just wailing his head down into the steering wheel. It almost felt like a page out of David Gordon Green's Michael Myers. <laughs> just smashing somebody's head into a island countertop repeatedly. That's, that's how this kill felt. And then when it ended with that, that steering wheel kind of embedded in his skull. Again, if you push pause, you're like, oh, that's, that's obviously a lot of CG work there. Probably mixed with some practical but to just let it run at full speed, it's disgusting, it's gory, 
you really it blurs the lines between CG and practical, and you don't get lost in it being CG because it's that horrifying to look at. And also the scene at the police station I thought was really good. While the group of cops that shoot each other, it was chilling, but not as impressive. Uh, the one cop behind the desk pleading that he's, you know, he's a father, he's got kids. No, 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 don't do this. And and this entity makes him shoot himself. That that was horrifying. That was that was quite chilling. Again, playing into that that mindset of not having control over yourself, doing things uh, that are horrible to yourself, and you, you cannot stop yourself from doing it. So this movie had a, a ton of really cool kills, a really good kills. I think the gore was just out of sight. Uh, I really dug the gore in this. I, I like the kills. Like I said, there's nothing new under the sun. We've probably seen all of these kills before in some form or fashion, but I thought they were I thought they were used to great effect in this movie to help create the horror. Uh, the thing that I didn't care for was, like I said, more pacing issues in that this movie started out learning about these kids, learning about their relationships, setting up this this whole party on top of this building with the, the alcohol, and, and they just spent too much time setting that up. I like this group of friends. Michael, played by Alison Gorski. Danny, played by Kyle Sear. Charlie, played by Angel Prater. Anna Telfer as Joe, and Cameron Wong as Glenn. I thought all these actors did a really good job. I thought Danny and Joe were probably the, the two more sympathetic characters. Charlie, you, you understand she cares about Michael, but then when you have that revelation that she told Glenn all about uh, what's been going on with Charlie and her father, who is this, the puppet man uh, that's on death row. You can understand why Michael is upset with her. And Charlie is very sympathetic, but, you know, it, it was a situation where if uh, she ratted out all my secrets, I'd probably be pissed off at her too. But it's the Glenn character that is not very likable. And Cameron Wong does a really good job with this character. Does a good job of making you not like him. And he is the guy in this group of friends that... And, and every group of friends has one of these. Maybe not every group of friends. Especially every group of friends in a movie has one of these guys or girls that you can't understand why everyone in this group likes them and keeps them around. They must have some redeeming qualities, but they act like such an asshole that you don't understand why anyone still hangs out with them. That's this character. But you spend a lot of time getting to know these these characters. And at first I'm like, oh yeah, okay, I'm getting to, to understand their relationships and getting to understand them as as people, but you really don't get past scratching the surface. So they spend all this time setting up this group of friends, setting up this party that kind of launches the rest of the movie into motion. And most of the characters still end up feeling a bit one-dimensional, except for like Michael. You could have set up this party really quickly. You didn't have to have the alcohol run. Uh, you could have set up these very simple relationships, like I said, these very simple one-dimensional characters with maybe one scene. And that way you would have had a little more time to, to go into some of the other aspects of the movie that I think lacked. You didn't have to have the scene with Charlie's mom when she shows up after Charlie's death. You didn't have to have that because it really played no bearing other than to get Charlie's phone from the police precinct 
to Michael's dorm room. That's really all the purpose it served. And you could have found another way to make what happened as a result of that happen, which is the fact that Charlie set up this meeting with a medium to talk about Michael's darkness. You didn't have to have Charlie setting this up earlier. You could have found another interesting way to make this group of friends want to go to this medium. If you if you had to bring this into the story, you could have found another way to, to bring this about that alleviated that whole scene with Charlie's mother and you could have spent more time on the mystery. And that is really, I think, where things started to pick up this mystery of Michael and her parents and her father who's on death row and and what what happened why does Michael have these powers seemingly has these powers where she can control people like a puppet but all that does still seem very rushed through because I think probably one of the problems with this movie is that it felt like they had a lot of really good ideas okay, we want to do this scene with the medium and, and we want to do this scene uh, here and here and the connective tissue wasn't completely there. Let's find creative ways to get us from point A to point B when there's not a logical step to get from point A to point B. And even the mystery, like I said, they, they really didn't delve into it in a succinct way. You got little bits and pieces there. You've got bits and pieces with the Ruby character played by Karen Richmond, who I really liked her. Um, I wish we could have got a little more out of this character. And given the way they set up the ending, we may eventually get some more with this character but but i really liked her I, I thought hers was an interesting character that could have played a more integral part in some of this but i just i, I just don't like how the character was handled but you get bits with her you get bits in flashbacks you get bits with this book uh, about the cult of dolos that's the book that joe was reading in the library i like the idea that michael's parents were worshippers of this Dolos demon. And they gave up their daughter to be the vessel for this demon. I, I liked the idea of that. I just don't think the revelation of it was done very succinctly. It was very choppy. And by the time you get the, the, the legitimate reveal of this, it just felt a little rushed and clunky. But I, I really liked the idea that this is ultimately a possession movie. And we've got a lot of possession movies lately. Uh, most of them lean towards the exorcism aspect of demon possession. We've got a lot of exorcism movies over the past year or so. Most recently, The Exorcist Believer. And I liked how maybe this wasn't a demon possession movie in the terms of there being an exorcism. Although... I think that may be where this goes eventually. But this was a demon possession movie. And I like that they didn't take demon possession as a horror trope. And okay, we've got to do an exorcism with this. This was a demon possession. And going into the less stereotypical demon possession aspects. The demon is inside of her. And sometimes... To protect its vessel, it takes control of people and it takes control of her. And I did like some of the lore that you got in this book, the, the Cult of Dolos, because it kind of explained, probably in the more succinct aspects of this story and the lore, you know, you would have a verse about people who are a threat will lose their will or, or something like that. I'm, I'm horribly paraphrasing that. But, but those 
moments in that book where you saw a line and it explained very concisely, very succinctly the lore behind this. Those were some of the best explanation of what was going on. Listening to the father, David, explain to Michael why he and his wife gave their daughter up to Dolos, why they worshipped. It was just very rushed and very clunky. It wasn't very well thought out, I don't think. It was trying to explain too much. Which is why I don't think the climax completely worked. I like the idea that with just a line from this book about Dolos finding peace when its vessel slumbers, leading them to knock out Michael. And I thought that was a good start to it. <laughs> they they had a, a good starting point, but then the whole thing of blood to blood and transferring the demon from Michael to her father, who's on death row, and the whole setup to get that happen, it just all seemed very rushed. And for as much as they tried to explain too much about why this demon is in Michael, uh, they didn't really explain much at all about how this is actually supposed to go down. They're just holding hands, which kind of leads to the big question mark at the end. Does David have the, the demon in him when he is going to, to get the lethal injection? And I think we play out that he actually does, but they paint this Dolos demon as a trickster and you can't trick the trickster and the, the demon goes back into Michael and you get that malevolent grin of hers at the very end to realize that even though it looked for a moment like David had the demon in him and it was going to stop the lethal injection, the demon left him and went back into Michael, unbeknownst to Ruby. And again, I don't know how I feel about this ending because... At one point, I'm like, oh, this is, you know, early on, I'm like, I think probably around the scene when she killed Danny, I think that was probably the moment I realized this wasn't going to have a happy ending. Those two weren't going to live happily ever after and ride off into the sunset. That's the point where I, I knew this wasn't going to have a happy ending. But then at one point where they're coming up with this idea that they're going to transfer Dolos into David, Michaela's father, I like, okay, well, maybe they are going to do the happy ending. It undermines the air of doom that you have put over the first part of this third act of the movie. With all her friends dying, with her boyfriend dying, with her killing a bunch of cops. Maybe not her specifically, but the demon inside of her. Then to have it set up like there's going to be a happy ending. She's going to get rid of this demon. It's going to go into her father. And the father's going to get the lethal injection and die with the demon trapped inside of him i there again another instance where some things they explain too much and not well and other things they don't really explain at all and you need to have a little context so to go from okay this is gonna have a happy ending to oh this isn't gonna have a happy ending to oh this is probably gonna have a happy ending to nope no happy ending here it just felt kind of like flip-flop, flip-flop. And ultimately, I think it was to serve the fact that they are contemplating the idea of doing a sequel for this. Michael still has Dolos inside of her. Ruby's still in the game. You can introduce other friends. I don't know where else you need to go with this, though, other than just to draw out what you've already done. I think the only, the only reason I would be interested in a sequel is just to see what should have played out at the end of this one. Because this wasn't like an open-ended ending. This felt very much like a, hey, we want to do a sequel, and we we're setting it up specifically for that. 
And I, I am all about open-ended endings. Uh, I'm fine with that. I like that. I think in some applications, uh, it, it can be done really well to great effect. But that this wasn't an open-ended ending. This was very much set up for a sequel. And it's a sequel I don't, I don't know as if I really want. Like I said, I would see a sequel. I would watch a sequel if, if I could get the closure to the movie that I wanted in this first one. But I, I would go into it reluctant. As much as there were some things I, I didn't care for in this movie, like I said, storytelling-wise, pacing-wise, I still did enjoy this movie. I thought it was a good movie. I thought the acting was really good. I thought the story at its heart was really interesting. Uh, I liked the lore, although I don't think it was handled very well in the exposition of it. But I did like the horror. I did like the gore. I did like the characters. I thought the story, like I said, had an interesting idea behind it. Uh, and, and I just wanted this story to be this story and I wanted it to end and I wanted to move on with the rest of my life. Now I feel like we've got this, this story hanging over me without an ending to it and not in a very satisfying open-ended way. I feel like, oh shit, well now I got to wait for the sequel to figure out how this freaking ends. But all things being equal, I did enjoy this movie. I thought it had a really good cast. Uh, for not knowing any of these actors in this, uh, I really enjoyed the acting. I thought the acting was, it, it went from, you know, being okay acting to, to really good acting. I think all of the primary kids in this, I thought, did a really good job. Karen Richmond as Ruby, I thought she did a really good job. Very believable as this medium character. I thought the effects were effective. They did a really good job with that. I thought the horror was there. All of these kill scenes had the right amount of tension and the right amount of build and the right amount of horror and gravity to everything that was going on. And I think that is really what you need with, with a horror movie, especially a low-budget horror movie where, you know, you don't have all the big-budget effects. But I think they made good use of the effects that they did have and the horror and the tension and the build-up to these horrific scenes were good. And the effects to pay them off, I thought, were all really good. And the story, I thought, was really interesting. Of course, this was written by Brandon and Ryan Christensen. Brandon Christensen directed uh, a few other movies for Shudder. Stillborn, Superhost, Z. And none of those movies I've watched yet. They came out before I actually had Shudder. So, uh, and, and I enjoyed his directing so much that I'd like to go back and, and see how he did with those movies movies because I, I know I've heard a lot of people talking about them and, and a lot of people really enjoyed them to varying degrees. Uh, the other writer on this was Matt Minjurides. Uh, hopefully I'm saying that right, probably butchering his name as well. But I found it interesting that he came up with the idea for the well, the original idea for the Puppet Man movie after listening to a version of the Puppet Man song, which was written back in 69 for uh, Tom Jones. I think he had a hit with it in 71, which you have a, a version of that song in this movie, which was kind of a nice touch, uh, almost like having Sandman in uh, you know, Halloween movies. But while I think there were some, there were some issues storytelling wise, I, I thought it really was a good idea idea and an interesting story and for the most part well written I just think there were some wasted moments in the beginning uh, things drug out a little long with trying to to build this friendship when you could have done these you know like I said terribly one-dimensional characters you could have built their friendship quickly 
and shown it quickly and and moved on and found better ways to convey the mystery and to unravel the mystery and to explain why uh, Michaela's parents did what they did to give us a little better understanding of what and why they're trying to do with this trap they're setting for Dolos with with Michaela's father. Because you use so much time up at the beginning of the movie to set up this group of friends, uh, it just felt like some of these other aspects, important aspects of this movie, were a little rushed. And not not that they weren't well thought out, but you tried to explain too much in a, a little amount of time where they were trying to get to this scene and that scene and the other scene that they wanted to do so they just kind of blew through some some exposition and some explanation as to what's going on. But just because it did have some problems uh, doesn't mean it wasn't a good movie. It doesn't mean it wasn't an enjoyable movie. And I think that really is the barometer is did I enjoy it? Am I glad I watched it? Uh, will I watch it again? Uh, I can say unequivocally. Uh, I did enjoy this movie. I enjoyed watching it. I'm glad I watched it. I think it had a lot of really good horror elements to it, which is what I'm looking for in a horror movie in October. <laughs> That's, you know, it, it met the criteria of that. Will I watch it again? I don't know. I wouldn't not watch it again. I don't think I'm going to seek it out and find it on Shutter and hit play and watch it all the way through Again, there's enough that wasn't explained that I know isn't going to be explained any better on a second watch. So so I don't think I need to do that. But if I throw on Shudder, and you know how the It Came From Shudder comes up and they've got a movie already playing. If it's on there, I might sit there and, and watch it. Uh, watch a little bit of it. Watch the remainder of it. Uh, if it's just starting, I might watch it. Uh, I, like I said, I'm probably not going to seek out a second viewing, but if I should happen upon it on Shutter when it's already playing, I, I'd probably sit down and, and, and at least watch a little bit more of it just because it was uh, entertaining and it did have some good gory horror and tension in this movie. And that's really what I'm looking for in, in most any horror movie. Is it a great horror film? No, it's not great. But it's pretty good and pretty enjoyable. So I want to thank everyone for listening to my thoughts on The Puppet Man. You can check it out on Shudder. Uh, like I said, an enjoyable horror film for October. Speaking of enjoyable horror films, uh, be listening because coming up on Thursday, we've got another one that I, I quite enjoyed. It's a movie that's been out for a little while on Hulu, but I finally got a chance to sit down and watch it. And again, if you're looking for a creature feature that draws from, from several different movies, I felt but still was good and still it didn't feel like it was ripping anything off it didn't feel like a it felt more like an homage I, I suppose in some regards but the tank on Hulu we're going to be talking about that on Thursday's episode plus uh, we got a lot of other things going on here and may have some bonus episodes uh, popping up maybe towards the end of this week as well. So uh, lots to look forward to as we get through the, the haunted month of October. And you can check out all that's going on with Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop on our Facebook and our Instagram pages, uh, posting things all about horror, fantasy, and science fiction. Uh, you can see you know some of the, some of the cool books in a weird Edgar Allan Poe googly eye 
photo uh, that I found at an antique shop this past weekend. But you can find out all of that on our social media pages. And no matter where you listen to this podcast, to whatever platform, like, follow, subscribe to it. Uh, that way you can stay on top of the new episodes. Leave a review. Five stars would be awesome. But whatever review you leave, we do appreciate that. And it does really help, uh, especially those five-star reviews. Let the podcast platforms know that uh, people are enjoying watching this and that they should expose it to to more people and speaking of exposure uh there's no better way to expose other people to our podcast than to share it with anyone that you know that loves horror fantasy and science fiction if you're on one of those fan pages on facebook or wherever and they're saying hey what's a what's a good horror or fantasy or science fiction podcast to listen to please feel free to to tag us or to to leave a link to whatever podcast platform you listen to and show people that, hey, we're out there uh, so you can help us build up our numbers and we do appreciate that. So until next time. Thank you for visiting Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. We hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon. But even though you may come back, you never really get to leave Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. Ha 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 ha!